Welcome back to another episode of the Startups Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as always by Will Schroeder, my partner and CEO of Startups.com. Will, today we're going to talk about something near and dear to both of our hearts, um, and that's what should we be teaching kids about startup companies? I think a lot of people have an opinion on this because, you know, we're all, uh, of course, parents in some right, or will be, uh, but at the other side is we all came up through a system that was mainly broken yeah, and we're founders grasping to try to find that hint of something we learned that could be useful for what we're doing right now. And we're usually having a tough time with it. <laughs> There's a lot of other things in life where you can pull from what you learned in school. Being an entrepreneur usually isn't one of them. In fact, it's the common broken narrative that Everything I needed to know about entrepreneurship, I learned somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. You know that box of cables that's in everybody's parents' basement where you've like yeah. saved every cable ever and you, you want to go through it and you want to find something useful? It's never in there. You just never find it. Yeah, man. And uh, I think th the conversation has gotten to the point, uh, you know, among the, the world stage really about kind of the state of education, et cetera. Uh, that it's almost laughable. I and mean, every country kind of has its own version. But, you know, in the United States, which is the education system we're going to talk about mostly today, although you'll probably have some comments about what things look like out of the country. Yep. I think part of uh, the, the dialogue has been around what is the future that we're preparing kids for? And what the hell are we teaching them right now? Because it's certainly not based on the future. You know, we're, we're largely teaching within a program that was designed 50 plus years ago and w without a lot of changes. And it's, uh, I'm not saying change all of education, but I'm saying as it relates to teaching kids to become founders, there's a whole other world that we need to consider. And I think it's, it'd be fun to kind of unpack that today. Yeah, I agree. And, and look, we're, yeah, like you said, we're not, we're not down on education and we understand the, the plight of education, right? Which is that you're trying to take kids and prepare them for something in, in a future that you can't see, right? A lot like building a startup company, we're doing things under terms of uh, high uncertainty and it's, it's really unclear what the skill sets that will be required to be successful in the future will be. But I think you and I will both agree that giving kids this entrepreneurial mindset and, and problem solving and wanting ownership and, and wanting to build things and being curious, um, has to work at least as well as preparing them for an industrial economy that no longer exists. <laughs> well, let's let's start with the fundamentals because I think, you know, again, people are, have pretty strong opinions about uh, how kids should be taught or kind of what's broken in the yeah. system, et cetera. What I think we should discuss first, you know, kind of just setting the stage is why kids? You know, when we're talking about kids, we're talking about kindergarten through say 12th grade. You know, why is it important that we're teaching kids entrepreneurship uh, and, and what is it about entrepreneurship uh, that isn't just about getting a job? You know, what, what are some of those kind of core developmental skills that we want to hone that, again, aren't necessarily about whether you become a founder of a company? I, I would argue if I had an entire school of kids that I was teaching about entrepreneurship and not a single one started another company, they would be 100x more effective in just about any other job they would go into because they would have so many core skills. I'd agree with that, hands down. And I, I think the other thing, Ryan, and you and I have talked about this in the past, the reason I think we need to start as early as possible is because we need to, to start with a, a foundation which says uh, early in life, when there's an idea in your head, 
we've taught you a mechanism to get it out of your head. Uh, Full-grown adults don't have those mechanisms. Kids definitely don't have them, you know? If I'm thinking, hey, this would be a really cool video game concept, but I have no idea how to get that concept out of my head and into an actual video game, or I see that this is a really cool toy I would have loved to develop. You know, when I was a kid, if I could have created my own G.I. Joes, I would have been all about it. (laughs) Right. But we don't teach kids that that's possible. We don't teach them that if there's an idea in your head, you can make that happen in the world. And isn't it funny because we see this manifest itself all the time in, in conversations with grown-up founders, right? As we're, as we're talking to these adults, they're still hung up on the fact that they don't know they're allowed to do these things, even though they're grown-ups. Because as you're saying, we didn't build that foundation. We didn't give them permission at that point in their youth to be able to do these things and leave that creative gate open. Let's stick with permission because I think that's such a powerful unlocking mechanism for really anybody at any age, but certainly to be taught with kids. Permission in this context has as many variants. One of them is, I have permission to pursue an idea. In other words, I have this idea in my head, and it's okay for me to go pursue it and see it through. I I will have the tools to go get it done. It might break, and that's okay. Versus, I have to only work with absolutely fixed items. You know what I mean? Things that already exist in the world, manipulate as such. Color within the lines. Yeah. and. I think when I work with kids now, like when I you know, talk to kids about entrepreneurship, et cetera, what I love about working with them, uh, and, and it'd be worth noting, I, I'm really active in my kids' school. Um, I've got uh, uh, essentially a, a preschooler and a second grader, and we're working on a program throughout the school, and we'll talk about this more in the program, uh, to teach every kid from K through 12 uh, entrepreneurship. And so this has been something, you know, it's been a lot of cycles on. And as parent entrepreneurs, it's something we think about nonstop. But what I love with working with the kids is their brains are so fresh. They, they haven't been taught no yet, which is so powerful. Yeah, there are no rails on the thinking, right? There's no rails on the thinking. There's no, no questions about whether this is possible or not, because the reality is they don't know, right? They haven't been given enough information at this point to stop the thought. Ryan, it reminds me of the, the elephant with the chain on its leg. Yeah. You know, it goes so long with the chain on its leg that as it grows, it doesn't realize that it can't just walk away and break it. Yep. And I think for kids... Uh, we need to make sure that that chain never gets put on. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely true. Yeah, man, I don't think in an amorphous context. I think the earlier we can teach kids that, yes, you can solve problems, you can create problems, you know, or see problems in the world, identify problems in your life, and solve them. Um, whether or not you commercialize that and turn it into a business doesn't matter. Doesn't at all. I'll give you an example. If I were a kid in today's era, I grew up in the 80s, like (laughs) nothing compared to what's there today, right? From the internet to 3D printing, I would have been a busy boy. Uh, And and you could have said, hey, here's the G.I. Joe guys you're playing with. Um, But guess what? If there's three different ones that that, you you would love to see that didn't exist, you can just go make those happen. If there's bad guys that don't exist or good guys that don't exist, right? Like you can just go make them that unlocking mechanism would have been so powerful for me. I would have, I would have eaten that up. I'm just trying to picture what the GI Joe with the hockey stick would have looked like. <laughs> but I mean, look, the, the point here, and I don't, I don't think we need to belabor this though, is kids have this amazing early sense of wonder. And I think over time, that wonder, that natural curiosity gets blunted. And I think that's a huge challenge. 
we need to be able to capture that natural curiosity and at that time, arm it with a formative ability to turn that curiosity into real world objects, so to speak, right? And to be able to see these things through. So powerful in a time and a place in the world where that, where that can actually be done. Yeah, so I think it's a, it's a well-established fact that kids are sponges, right? And, and not only sponges, but they can take all of that information that they absorb and they can synthesize it without barriers. And that's, that's a really important point, right? They can take this information, they can turn it into things of their own. And I think that's a really important concept that we should spend some time talking about, and that's, that's ownership, right? So when you create something, right, it is, it is of your making. And I've seen my kids get, like, insanely excited about a Play-Doh blob that was some creature that was indiscernible from just a Play-Doh blob. But to them, there was something really amazing and special about that because they created it. They had ownership of it, right? When you have, you know, an idea in your head and there's something that you want to pursue and there's a concept that you've made, the level of interest and the level of, uh, of, of passion, of, of willingness and, and desire to, to put energy into that is completely different, right? It's the reason kids will sit and play with Legos or Play-Doh for hours. You give them, you know, a toy that just does one thing, it's one trick pony, they're, they're done with it relatively quickly. And it's not just because the toy itself is boring because they could do the same thing with that toy, but they don't feel that same sense of ownership. And I think that's, it's a really powerful point that gets overlooked very often with kids. Kids don't get to experience it. Um, if we're lucky enough at adults, sometimes we get a taste of it. I, I see this happen a lot at uh, startup weekends, right? Because I've been to a ton of them, you know, all different cities, and it's such a great program. And if you're not familiar, it's it's a program where essentially uh, uh, people all get together, a bunch of strangers uh, at, at a local facility, and they spend 54 hours working on an idea together. At the end of the 54 hours on Sunday night, they pitch that idea to a you know mock panel of judges, and and they they say which one's best. But by Sunday night. The people talking about their ideas aren't talking about a job. They're talking about something that they own. They, they, they feel like it's part of them. In fact, if you, if you rip into the idea, if you're one of those mock investors, Shark Tank style, that kind of rips into the idea, uh, they take it very personally. And I love that because they have ownership. And, and I always think to myself, right? I think, what if more and more people in the world had true ownership of what they're working on. And I'm not talking about equity ownership. I mean like personal vested stake. The way we have personal vested stakes in things like our kids, um, I hate to say, our, our pets. When I say I hate to say it, I don't want to compare kids and pets, but people are very, very strongly about their pets, right? Um, uh, that deep personal connection that goes beyond that this is just some product or, or business. I think giving a kids a taste of that early on is something that you can't reverse. You can't put that toothpaste back in the bottle. And I think it's one of the most powerful things that kids can learn and take with them no matter what they do with that as they move forward. Where do you think this starts to break down? Like if we, if we wanna go back and kind of compare that to the, the educational systems we were talking about the, at the top, where do you feel like there would be some easy points for them to do this? And, and, and why aren't we? I guess that's, that's one of my big questions is always, why isn't this already happening? Like, this doesn't seem, I mean, it seems obvious to you and I because we spend day and night thinking about these things. But why isn't this obvious to the educational system? Why aren't they thinking like, hey, we need to give kids more of a chance to take ownership in there? And there's, there are some things now where you've got these, you know, children-directed uh, learning paths and things like that. But it's still very much 
a choose your own adventure type thing rather than a write your own damn book, which is not the same thing. Ryan, when you and I were growing up uh, many moons ago, the whole concept was there's like 12 jobs out there and you have to pick which one you want, yes. right? <laughs> that was pretty much I still it. remember the results of my last uh, aptitude test that was supposed to point me towards my careers. I was either going to be a forest ranger or a lawyer. That's so specific, <laughs> right? Well, but 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 think about that. So uh, it we weren't designed as an educational system to set people up for just infinite creative freedom. It was kind of like, you know, more of a put people into particular types of jobs that all made sense at that yeah. time. And and to be fair, it worked pretty well. You know, society as a whole did, did just fine. Uh, our issue is just that the, that things have changed so much that that same system doesn't work the same. When we want to talk about why are we still teaching and if we wanted to kind of zoom out and say, you know, what's broken, I, I, I think there's some some straw men that we have to kind of like take off the table. When people say, you know, oh, teachers don't see it, I've I've never spoken to a teacher that doesn't see it. Right? Right. <laughs> it's never seemed to to be a problem to me. Administrators don't see it. I haven't talked to all the administrators in the world, but generally speaking, whom I've talked to, they seem pretty, it seems pretty odd. It's, it's one of those things like everyone sees it, but actually making the change is dramatic. And this is the, the, the twist here. I don't think in the near term, let's call the near term the next five to 15 years, that the change will happen at a purely, call it bureaucratic level, whereby all the, you know, the levers get moved at once. But that doesn't mean the change can't happen. I believe the change has to happen among the parents, founders, like the folks listening to this podcast. I think we all have to suit up in the same way if there was nobody teaching our kids soccer team, we would jump in and coach the soccer team. We've got to bring entrepreneurship. We've got to bring some of that extra level of education and our expertise and experiences to the table. Like we've got to show up and, and, and integrate. There's no other way to do it. I like that so much. So, so there's something that I, I want to stick on there for a second. And that's this, this the concept that you brought about. If, if nobody's coaching the soccer team, then you jump in and coach, right? Because I feel like, you know, saying to get the parents involved and, and I think that as entrepreneurs, we tend to do this anyways, right? With our own kids, at least, and maybe, you know, some of the close friends. But I think that when you said that, what it sparked in me was this thought that there needs to be something more formal going on here, right? And I don't know if we need a startup league, um, a startup little league, but something along those lines, right? Where there's, it's not just happening through osmosis because my kids are going to get that. Your kids are going to get that, right? They're going to see what we do. They're going to hear about the challenges. They're going to see the upside. They're going to see the downside. Um, you know, they can ask us questions. They've got access to us all the time. Um, so they through osmosis are going to pick up a lot of these lessons. Um, but that doesn't spread the concept of entrepreneurship at, at scale. And I, I also agree with you that right, this isn't all of a sudden like, you know what? Common core is dumb. <laughs> Let's teach entrepreneurship, right? It could be true, but like you said, it's not likely to happen. So I think that it will begin with, with more grassroots efforts, but I do also think it's important that we push it towards the educational system. I don't think it's enough to say, okay, for a lot of reasons, and I'll get into a couple of them in a second, I don't think it's enough to simply say, let's just do this outside the educational system. And I, I think there's a, there's a couple dangers there. One, 
Uh, lots of kids are going to get left behind, right? They're not going to get exposed to it in the way that they should. Two, uh, my kids are already really busy, right? At, at third grade and kindergarten, my kids are already very busy. So the idea of like layering on more things beyond what they're already doing inside that day, um, especially when I look at the day and I say like, most of this is good, but there's certainly a lot that we could do differently and, and spend that time more effectively in terms of preparing them for what actually comes next. So I, I like the concept of, uh, of, you know, treating this more like a team sport, um, not necessarily from the, the aspect of teams, but at least from the aspect of if you have these skills, uh, you do owe it to yourself, your community the, and, and, and the kids to, to get in there and do something about it. Let me just explain then if we're talking about a little bit of a instantiation, let me talk about how I'm doing it. So last year when my kids transferred to a new school, um, I talked to the, the administrators about uh, where is entrepreneurship uh, in this program, you know, in, in this, in the curriculum. Uh, and to be fair, it's a private school. It's a super advanced school, uh, night and day versus the public school that they were going to before. So again, I don't want to overlook this. I was a public school kid myself. When we tried in the public schools to get some things moving, it's funny. We were in LA County schools, which all had all shut down at the time. Um, it was a total disaster, like trying to get things moved, the public schools, the bureaucracy. And, and by the way, like, the teachers all meant well. All the administrators meant well. They wanted to see stuff happen. It just their hands were pretty tied. But here's what's interesting, and I just want to frame this. We ended up in a private school uh, for litany reasons, and the private school says, "What do you want to do? Whatever you want to do, just suit up and go." And I said, "I want to teach entrepreneurship. I want to build a, a preeminent entrepreneurship program at the school." They said, "Wonderful. You start tomorrow." And just like that, a week later, I'm sitting in classrooms talking to kids about entrepreneurship. To set the stage, there already was an entrepreneurship class, you know, like a math class that, that students were, were already in. Um, so it wasn't like I just created the class. It was already in session. But but here's the thing. And the progress bar of this effort, all of that's like 5 to 10%, an important 5 to 10% because it's happening. But what I propose back to the school and what we're working through right now is... Um, Let's figure out how to get entrepreneurship introduced K through 12. This is a this is a K through 12 school, incidentally. Um, let's create a an incubator inside the school, not because we're going to create tons of companies, but because we want to have we have clubs for everything, right? You know, we, we, there was a chess club, there was an AV club. Why isn't there an entrepreneurship club? And in some high schools, there are. But the next question is, who's involved in that entrepreneurship club? And you say, well, there's there's one teacher and maybe a parent volunteer. Bullshit. I need to get at least five to 10 other parents uh, who either have some interest in entrepreneurship or um, or entrepreneurs themselves involved in helping me coach that team. What does that look like? I start pulling the students aside and I said, hey, are any of you particularly interested in learning to build a startup? Students start raising their hand. Cool. I need an hour or two a week of, from you to start working through your ideas. Not a ton of time. To your point, Ryan, kids got a lot of other stuff going on. Let me get the ball rolling. I think if people try to boil the ocean with this effort going into it and say, oh, I guess you're going to say like every kid needs to be a full-time entrepreneur. No. No. <laughs> Any more than you need to be a full-time paper boy back in the day to learn the lesson, right? Um, start with the fundamentals. When you've kicked this off now, what age groups are you working with? I know you've told me, but for listeners' benefits, where where are you spending the time? K through eight uh, is where we want to focus, where we haven't done it yet. This will be next year uh, on ideation. All I want uh, kindergartners through eighth graders to understand is that problems all around them exist, and here are the basics 
for how to turn those problems into a potential business or product idea. I don't care if you sell anything. I don't care if you make it a business. I just need you to understand how ideation works, that that ideas are things that we see every day, but we often overlook. Ideas are our natural creativity being brought to life and brought to action. Uh, so that's the only focal point. When we get to, to high school, we're teaching what I'm going to call commercialization. And that goes in three steps. First step is we're teaching people how ideation works and, and kind of picking that up and to be something more like instead of just taking it from an idea to like maybe a prototype, uh, an idea to validation. Should we even build this? The second step is launch. Um, getting just the basic collateral around the business idea, like a website or a logo or uh, just or, or like your first MVP of the product uh, that we can actually show somebody. And then the last stage is growth. And growth is simple, man. It's just um, sell to one customer, get one user to download your, your new app or uh, taste your new cookie, whatever your business is. Um, just start understanding what progress looks like. These are all super basic things. Um, and the students want to do it. Uh, it's exciting. And it, these don't have to become venture-funded companies. I think when people hear incubator, they get the wrong idea. They just need to take students through the full spectrum of what it means to start something, just so you understand, just like Startup Weekend does, to be honest. And they do it in 54 hours. Sure. I mean, I, I didn't this get solved back in like 1986 with uh, Lemonade Stand? Let me tell you this. You know, a funny, funny side note, Ryan. Every single founder that I ever talked to has a story where they created some business as a kid. Funny is, funny enough, we all think that we're the only people that did it. Like I sold candy to, so I could eat. Um, but everyone has that story. And it was, you know, the natural entrepreneur in you coming out. And I think that needs to be something that every single person experiences. Every, every person should have that, that experience, whether they choose to use it or not. Correct. Again, it, it teaches problem solving. It, it, it opens up the world of possibility in the sense that you realize that how you spend your time has far more optionality than you would have been led to believe otherwise. And again, I think this is one of those areas where we would both agree that the, the current educational system is still failing people by pigeonholing them into a, a handful of careers um, and then prioritizing those careers based on, you know, perceived status or income rather than basing it on your aptitude, desire, passion to want to do those things. I'm sure you know some as well. I know I know a handful of doctors that hate medicine, but that's what they did because their parents pushed them towards it because it would make them more money or that's what they thought. Right? That's been a, a joke in two hands at this point. <laughs> but um, I think that it's one of those things that it exposes you to is that I can create my own life circumstances. I can, you know, take a problem that I see and turn that into something uh, that, that benefits the people around me, benefits, benefits me as the, as the owner of the concept. Um, and I think that, you know, the earlier you can instill that, the better, because I don't know how it went for you. Um, you know, we, we have very similar experiences in, in terms of selling things, you know, very young and starting entrepreneurship very young, but it was sort of accidental, right? It wasn't as if it was exposed to it. It was sort of like I came across the idea, right? The kid across the street came up with the idea that he was going to practice baseball a lot, right? And he, you know, he played for the Mets, so that ended up working out better for him. But <laughs> you know, the, a lot of those other kids that were kicking, kicking dirt clods around and throwing balls, um, you know, I decided entrepreneurship was going to be my little sport. Um, and that's worked out well for me. But um, 
again, it was just sort of accidental collision with a concept that led to it rather than any prescribed path or, or any, you know, anything that somebody handed me and said, Hey, Ryan, think about this. What if you tried this? What if you did that? Well, okay. So one thing you mentioned that I really liked and I, and I harp on a lot, you know, when we're talking to my kids school or we're talking about this as a whole, we need to teach kids agency. This concept that you can you can fulfill your own destiny. This isn't just about you can do anything. Uh, that's that's not really the point. Um, that feels just more aspirational. Agency means you don't have to choose these twelve paths. You can go pick a thirteenth. Agency says maybe you don't want to do that job, or maybe you don't want to do it the way everyone else does. Maybe you love law, but you don't want to be a lawyer. Agency is your understanding that that's possible, right? Um, I, I think we get hung up on this very linear path, which is education leads to college, college, college leads to job. Uh, you get to pick one career and that's what you do. Clearly the, those days are numbered, right? Agency says, I'm going to find what I want to do and I'm going to look for whatever path gets me there. And what I want to do may not be a prescribed job. It may be an interest that leads to a job. And let's face it with every modern profession, basically getting either eaten up or transformed in some bizarre way, it's really hard to pick one career and say, that's what I'm going to do forever. Well, I, the statistics show that we don't do that, right? Even even if we make that choice, we end up changing careers something like four or five times, right? Um, and then you end up with, that's one of the reasons you see sadly, a lot of miserable people with high functioning professional careers is because they've made such an investment in that career that they don't feel like they can change it, right? I'm stuck with this now. I've spent, you know, a, a, you know, 12 years of, of, of K through 12. Then I spent four years of undergrad, another four years of residency to get my, uh, my medical degree, uh, you know, two years, uh, or sorry, four years of medical school, two years of residency, maybe, you know, a, a surgical residency. And so now you're, you're 20 plus years in, you're not going to turn around and say, ah, you know what? I think I really would just like to be a wood carver, right? And maybe that is what you wanted to do, but you can't at this point, right? The sunk cost fallacy starts to kick in and you're trapped by your, your own uh, decisions, which were lar largely made for you, right? At right. some point in your life, which is just an absolute pity. Kids will go into the world with whatever we teach them. So it's incumbent on us to determine what that's going to be. If you're listening to the podcast and you're one of a billion frustrated founder parents saying, yeah, I agree with all of this, but like, you know, how do I make this happen? I'm going to go back to what we said a minute ago, Ryan, which is I don't think all of it has to be a sea change in the, uh, say, the public school or even private school um, curriculum. Yes, that would be great. And maybe someday that will happen. In the interim, though, I think a lot of it is stuff that we can do with our kids and for other kids if, you know, if we have the cycles to do it. Um, whereby we sit down with them and say, hey, there's a few things I need to teach you and I'll, and I'll teach you the requisite skills. Again, I need to teach you agency so that you know that you can actually go try and do other things and pursue things that you care about, not just things that you're good at, which hopefully are, are one and the same, but aren't always. Um, the second is I need to teach you, you know, natural ideation. I need to teach you that things can come out of your head. Um, that can become what you go and do for a living. You don't have to just look at the world as it stands now and pick something. You can invent that world. That's that's a learned skill. A lot of people don't realize that. They think inventors are these people with these this special Albert Einstein, you know, um, uh, special gift. Not true. 
Inventors are just curious people like the rest of us that figured out how to take that idea and get it out of their head. Everyone's an inventor. They just don't know how to use it. It's a skill. It's it's not a, a, a natural talent. Yeah. So let's circle back to something that you said a few minutes ago, Will, which is that the the aim of these efforts, right, in, in terms of presenting more children with the knowledge of what entrepreneurship is and the skills and the mindset um, and, and good examples of, of how entrepreneurship works in the world. The, the end game here is not to turn every kid into a founder, right? We're not trying to make, uh, you know, an, an, an army of, well, maybe an army of founders, but not a full globe of founders. I wouldn't mind an army of founders. I'm just thinking about like, what a wonderful hiring pool that would be at this point, if this existed, I wish we had started this 20 years ago. So we could be hiring these kids as they came out of school now. Uh, but that said, you know, what we're really talking about here is, is teaching them, that there is a possible path for self-advocacy, for self-agency, for self-direction, and arming them with the knowledge that that is possible and also a set of hard skills uh, that, that make it possible, right? Not, not just that, yeah, this is, this is something you can achieve, but also here are some things that will actually let you accomplish that. Do we expect that every kid's being a founder? No, of course not, right? It's, it's not for everybody, and it doesn't need to be. But I think part of the value, and I think there's a lot of points here, but I think part of the value that we can really drive home with every kid that we teach is the fact that you can make your own decisions, you have the freedom to kind of switch gears, you can listen to an objective, but you don't necessarily have to say this is exactly the prescribed path for getting it done. Ryan, we love hiring entrepreneurs. Because we know that when they run into a problem, their first thought isn't, well, let me talk to my boss and be told what to do. Their first thought is, oh, yeah, I'll just figure out how to get it done, right? But here's the better part. They don't just stop there. Entrepreneurs, people who've, who are used to kind of charting their own destiny, look for problems that nobody have brought up yet, has brought up yet, and they actually go forward and try to figure out the problems before they're asked what to do, right? That is... That is not something the average person, you know, an average employee, that's not how they think. And so getting more people to think with that mentality is incredibly powerful, regardless of if they choose to use that information to go start a company. I mean, like that's all well and good, but we need people with, you know, more freedom and flexibility. I'm going back to that comment around having an army of founders. And I'm thinking that like, if we've got roughly 30 million people out there building companies and trying to change the world now, like, what happens if you shift that number to 60 million, right? To me, it feels like a better, better world, but <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? I mean, holy cow, right? I mean, you know, one Steve Jobs was incredible. What happens when you get two? I mean, just mm. what if, right? Then you have apples. <laughs> Uh, but I'm mean, right. Think about the multiplicity effect. Um, if we actually do have more founders again, I, to me, this isn't about driving more founders, but you're going to get more founders. And, and there's an also a really important piece of having more founders in the world. It's not just about having more, you know, variants of the iPhone, so to speak, having more founders in the world are about having more passionate people in the world, right? Not people that are just dreading their jobs and hating what they do, but have ownership in what they do right? You see this in every restaurant that ever gets opened. The owner of that restaurant, she's so passionate about her restaurant. She's not just like, oh yeah, I guess I'm serving food and this is my job now. She cares about every customer. She cares about every plate that goes out the door. She cares about every review that she ever gets. We need a world of people who give a shit <laughs> about what they do the way founders do. And we need lots of them. I mean, Ryan, as far as I'm concerned, 
the world already has a ton of bored employees. We don't need to make any of those yes, anymore. The world needs more passionate founders.